Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to Psalms. Psalms chapter 1. And I am thrilled and excited to be starting this new series with you guys today. And we're going to be in the book of Psalms for the rest of the summer. Summer in the Psalms. And I have been looking forward to this. Um, the book of Psalms is, act, if you didn't know this, is actually a book of songs. Uh, written in biblical times. And so when we go through the Psalms, think in terms that these would have been actual songs that people sang. And I've been really grateful in the past decade uh, for... Uh, some music producers who have started uh, putting specific psalms into uh, lyrical musical form, and we sing some of those. We've, we've been adding those to our church's repertoire over the last several years, and some that are even older that you may not even realize are psalms, but uh, these are meant to be sung. And something that's really unique about uh, songs is they tend to stick with you. And you can hear uh, a melody or a few lyrics and it drive you into song, right? Where something, even the slightest thing can trigger it. And uh, maybe even you have a, a song memory from your childhood and something triggers it. And instantly it takes you right back there. In fact, uh, my wife and I were sitting on the couch the other night. And there was some commercial or video or something popped up and it started with just like the first few notes of the Barney theme song. And my wife goes, Barney? And I go, I don't know. How did you know that? She's like, my brothers watched far too much Barney when I was growing up. So she knew it right away, right? And songs have a way of doing that. And I often think how beneficial would it be? If we internalize the truth of God's word in the same way that we have an apt to, to remember and reflect and absorb the songs that play. And, and you might even think about how is it that these songs come to be rooted in who we are? How is it that they come to just be right there? And we would say repetition, right? That we listen to these words and to this music so frequently that I can hear a small piece and instantly it comes back to me. My yearning and my challenge to, to all of us is to approach God's word with that same yearning. And the interesting thing about music is oftentimes we don't necessarily set out to internalize a song, but over time it happens anyway. May that be true of God's word, that even if you don't set out 
And I would encourage you to set out to do this. But even if you don't set out to internalize specific portions of God's word, that you would be in it so much and meditating on it so frequently that we simply become a people who have, as the word of God would say, written God's word on our hearts that we might not sin. That we've hidden it in our hearts that we might not sin against God. That that would be who we are. And this is just a great opportunity in the book of Psalms to keep that at the forefront of our minds. Now, I've got good news for you today, church family. I have discovered the solution to your deepest sorrows. As I sat at my desk, a song, a song came to mind as I was planning this. And so no matter what you're doing, going through today, no matter what is plaguing you, I want to share the lyrics of this song. And I pray it brings you some measure of comfort and application to your trials. So are you ready? Oh, come on. Are you ready? All right, here we go. I'm not going to sing this, but as soon as I start mentioning the words, you're going to know exactly what song. And some of you are going to be humming it the rest of the day. All right, here we go. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. The landlord said your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. Ain't got no cash, ain't got no style, ain't got no gal to make you smile. But don't worry. Because when you worry, your face will frown and that will bring everybody down. So don't worry. Right? Is that right? Don't worry. Okay. It just sticks there. You can't help it. Now, as, as catchy as a song might be, and as inspirational and motivating as a quote may sound, it is not new knowledge that in the midst of our dreams, our pursuits, our passions, there are many days that we feel anything but happy. Right? In the midst of the weight of the world. And in the, the, probably one of the most discouraging things is that we become prone to believe that in what we're facing, happiness may not exist at all. That there's a lack of joy, a lack of satisfaction. That where, where is this found? Our culture around us is in a constant pursuit today of that which would make them most happy. Now, here's the reality. The culture around us is working hard to convince us, all of you, all of the world around us, that happiness can ultimately be found within yourself. This is what culture says. Happiness can be found ultimately within yourself. Follow your own desires, your own passions, your own wants, your own character, your own sexuality. You be you. Live in light of your truth. And the end result will be the happiness you've been searching for your whole life. This is the message of the culture around us. And it's doesn't, we don't have to look far to see that. You could fill in all those gaps really quickly and really easily. Now, for the culture to think this way, church family, it shouldn't be that surprising to us. But what may be more disconcerting and should be concerning for us as the church is that this way of thinking, this methodology, this mindset that I can find happiness within who I think I should be and my own passions, my own desires and what I want to do has crept into the church. 
It's crept into our way of thinking and it, it actually may sound like this. God made me this way. God loves me the way I am or God gave me these passions and desires. All subtly using God as a way to get what we want rather than seeing God himself as the fulfillment of all that we need. Okay, I want to say that again. All of these seeking to use God to get what we want rather than seeing God as all that we need. And so as we think about this, there should be a question that comes to the surface that says, so is there true happiness to be found? Or are we doomed to endure the weight of discontentment and anguish as long as there is breath in our lungs? So this is where I want us to read. We're going to read Psalm chapter one. And I want you to follow along in your Bibles as we reflect on these words. And I'm going to challenge you this week to memorize Psalm chapter one. As we start to internalize these truths, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, everyone say delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, as we step into this, may you help us to see how we can become people who delight in nothing more than your instruction and who you are. Lord, we trust you to use this to mold us as a people, as a church, to untether ourselves from this world and fix our eyes on the kingdom that is yet to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you get nothing else out of today, I want you to grasp this. Blessing results when we delight ourselves in the instruction of the Lord. Blessing results when we delight ourselves in the instruction of the Lord. Now the word blessed here has absolutely nothing to do with your material wealth, social status, physical health, or any other type of prosperity theology. Okay? Uh, that, that is... Maybe the second most important thing other than this main idea for you to walk out of here with. This is all too common in our day and age where we identify ourselves as quote unquote blessed by how prosperous we feel that we are. I don't remember the last time that I stepped into a really intense trial and the first thought that crossed my mind is I am so blessed right now because it's not where our minds go in fact our minds generally go to a place of why why God why this why now and yet in the same breath we can easily 
paint blessing through a lens that is completely material and earthly and has absolutely nothing to do with our position before God. Blessing results when we delight ourselves in the instruction of the Lord. The biblical word carries this idea of deep rooted happiness. The type that leads to contentment and joy that seems unattainable by most of the culture around us. Jesus speaks this way, and uh, many of you may be familiar with the the Beatitudes as we refer to them in Matthew chapter 5. Where he even begins that time by saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we read that and we go, wait, 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 wait. If blessing is everything to do with material prosperity and earthly happiness, why does Jesus say blessed is the person who mourns? I don't think that's often the first place we go. Happy is the person who mourns? What? But instead, what Jesus is teaching and what the psalmist is getting at is the question of where have I set my eyes? And in the later on in Jesus same message in the book of Matthew, chapter six, he he actually commands them, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Moth and rust destroy thieves, break it and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is there. Your heart will be also. And so there's a diagnosis we need to step into and go, where do I most often fix My eyes when I talk about blessing, when I think when someone asks, how has the Lord blessed you? What is the first thing that comes to my mind? That church family is your treasure. Now, on the surface, I want to clarify some things and say, I'm not saying that somehow you should you should deny the blessing of marriage or family or friends or a job or your home or any of these things. We have a calling to be grateful. But these things cannot be my greatest treasure. Because if your eyes are set on that and you define your happiness or blessedness from all of these things that can be taken away. Then your joy, your happiness, your contentment will not last. Some of you have experienced this firsthand as you've struggled through intense losses, as you've been challenged with the weight of current day circumstances, whether that be in your workplace, in your home, in your relationships, in your finances, you fill in the gap, your physical health. And you may realize that the season you're in reveals what your treasure actually was. Today, we want to look specifically at what the psalmist says blessing comes from. Biblical blessing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The first thing we can identify here is that blessing is purposeful. Blessing is purposeful. Look at the words in these first two verses. Blessed is the man who, what? Walks. 
nor stands, nor sits. Now, some of you may, maybe you've been forced to walk. I, I've never seen that happen. Usually it's a choice we get up to walk. Or a choice that we stand in this place or that we sit in this place. These are all verbs. And it doesn't take long for us to distinguish that this identifies what I have purpose to do. What have I purpose to do? What have we purpose to do? The, the first identifier here, the one who's blessed does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, clarification. When we hear the word wicked, here's what happens in our minds. We automatically think of the worst of the worst of the worst. I have never, oh, I shouldn't say never, rarely have I met someone for the first time and they introduce themselves and say, hi, I'm so-and-so and I am extremely wicked. It doesn't happen, right? And in fact, the alternative tends to be true when you start talking with people about Jesus, their need for a savior, eternity. The most common response that people give is... I'm, I think I'm a pretty good person. It's the exact opposite of wicked, right? Here's where the rubber meets the road. When scripture speaks of the wicked person, the contrast to wickedness is righteousness. So here is, here is the, the hard truth, family. You are either righteous or you are wicked. There is no in-between. Now, that poses a problem, doesn't it? Because most of us have no problem looking at ourselves and going, whoa, 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 okay. I didn't feel like I was wicked, but I know I'm not righteous. God's righteous. He's got these things taken care of. Uh, I've had people make the mistake of thinking that because I'm a pastor that I'm righteous somehow. No. Okay. Here's where the gospel intersects. The gospel, being the good news, says that it's because you're wicked that you need a savior. And God knows that you're wicked. But he yearns for us to be with him. That's what Peter says. He's not slow as some count slowness, but he's patient, desiring that all would reach repentance And so God sent his son. Oh, what's the significance of Jesus coming? Oh, many, many people, even people who don't have anything to do with church or faith can identify. Oh, Jesus is this guy who people say came and died for everyone's sins and rose again. And the Christians say they follow him. But it's way more than that. That's the basics. Here's the reality, because we have to answer the why question. In the scope of this, why did Jesus have to come to begin with? Because you and I are wicked. And here's where the good news part comes in. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. In Christ, we are declared righteous. In Christ, we are made new and our identity changes only through Jesus from that of a wicked person to that of a person who has humbly been made righteous, not by anything we've done, but solely 
by what God has done in Christ. And yet this focuses wholeheartedly on how someone purposes to live. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. What does that mean? If the wicked are walking in this way and therefore counseling in this way and I'm yearning to walk in the blessings of the Lord, I need not walk that way. The two are not compatible. Our tendency here is to think of this in the greatest of terms, but I want you to stop and realize that every one of us apart from Christ is wicked and deserving of God's just wrath. We are. The one who is blessed not only doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, they don't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. This follows the same line of thinking in the face of these warnings. There's this contrast in verse two. So if they don't purpose to do these things, what does the person who's truly blessed, who's truly happy, who's truly content? What do they do? His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law. He meditates day and night. Now, the law here, as the psalmist is writing, Refer that law, that word law can also be translated instruction. So a whole nother group of people might look at Psalm chapter one and say, well, in the timeline that the Bible is written, he's really talking about the Torah. The first five books of the Old Testament, which would have been the law or the instruction of the Lord in that day. The truth of the matter is, if you take this principle and you carry it through all the way through Jesus, Jesus himself said, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus found his purpose on earth, delighting in the instruction of the father and calls us to be like him to follow the example of Christ. The command here, the exhortation to delight in the instruction of the Lord carries all the way to us, family. Blessing is purposeful. The psalmist here seems to direct us towards two different lines of thinking. One is purposed to glean from the world and another is purposed to glean from the Lord. And that's not a new concept. In fact, before this, Deuteronomy 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, if you see someone living this, it becomes clear what their delight is in, doesn't it? In the same way in Joshua. So this Deuteronomy is written in the promises and instruction of the Lord. Here, go. I'm going to give you this promised land. Joshua, they're getting ready to step into that promised land. And look at what the Lord says to Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. 
but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, we make a mistake when we come to this passage in Joshua and we only quote verse nine and we miss the first part of this, which is you start by not letting the instruction of the Lord depart from your mouth. You meditate on God's word. And then as you do that, remember that you be strong and courageous. Go forward with confidence and faith. Knowing that the one who goes before you is so much greater than anything you're going to face, you have no need to fear. Now, the contrast to that is if we walk in the way of the wicked and we stand in the way of sinners, then we become really anxious people. Because the world is anxious. Why is the world anxious, family? Because they put their hope in things that don't last. So they don't put their hope in things that last. All of a sudden, oh, the stock market's crashing. My hope is in my money. Oh, no. There's natural disaster and I lose everything that I own. Ah, my marriage is imploding. My kids aren't living or walking the way that I yearn for them to live. Ah, but what is different about the one whose delight is in the instruction of the Lord? Family, where have we purposed to fix our eyes? Because if we fix it on any of this stuff, if, if we fix it on, on, this, on this facility and the ability to gather here in comfort in the air conditioning, if, we, if, we, if this is what it's about, we, we have missed the point. I love that we get to do this. It gets me excited. I, love, I was so excited this morning. After a long weekend, I was expecting to just be exhausted, and I'm just thrilled to open God's Word together today. But this, is, this, isn't, this isn't it. This is merely the halftime huddle as we get ready to step onto the game field where everything has to happen. Where have we purposed to fix our eyes? Now, the second part of this passage in Psalms, blessings not only purposeful, but... Maybe even more importantly, blessing is positional. Naturally speaking, here's here's truth. Naturally speaking, I place myself in proximity to that which I delight in most. It is not a foreign concept that the simplest way to diagnose what you delight in most is to evaluate what brings you the most pleasure. What brings you the most joy? What charges you up more than anything else? That is your delight. What do we desire most? And sadly, often what happens in our church culture is we start blurring the lines. We start blurring the lines between. Our faith in our world. It's easy for me to position myself in a way that I'm closest to those things I desire in this world. And in so doing, I root myself into a desert land where there is no lasting life. Look at verses 3 and 4. The person who delights in the instruction of the Lord and meditates it on day and night, 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Family, the tree that tries to survive where there is no water shrivels up and dies. And we easily become convinced. (laughs) We become convinced that the fresh springs of water lie in the riches of the world. And what the enemy has deceived us into thinking is that the desert is actually the promised land. When in reality, there is no nutrients in the desert. So when we plant ourselves into the desert, we shouldn't be surprised when we shrivel up. The question is, will we continue to try and replant ourselves in a different part of the desert? Or will we look to the only one who can transplant us where there is a stream of living water? Now... If any of you saw my video this week, you've been perhaps eagerly anticipating today's prop. I've been very excited about this. If you don't know me, one thing you can know about me is I love illustrations. And I love visuals. Basic fan, okay? Now... The fan's on, the fan's running. You can see the impact of the fan on my Bible. Here's the thing. I cannot experience any of the benefits of the fan unless I what? Put myself in proximity to the fan. Right? Now, my proximity to the fan says nothing about whether the fan is doing what the fan is going to do. In the same way that my proximity to God has absolutely nothing to do with whether God is going to do what he's going to do or not. However, whether or not I experience the results of what the fan is doing depends on where I have proximated myself to the fan. Here's what we do, family. We trust in Christ Or we say we trust in Christ. We verbalize this. And we go, I love this fan. Especially on a hot day. I love this fan. It it makes me feel good. It cools me off. I, I love this fan. And then we get distracted. And we're kind of like, I know the fan's still there. But I'm over, I, I'm kind of interested in this and over here and I'm, I'm over here doing something completely different and then life happens and I go, where are you, God? I, I trusted you and this is how you treat me. This, this is what you're going to do. And in fact, many people go the other way and they say, you know what? I don't actually think the fan exists. The fan doesn't exist at all, because if the fan exists, I would be cool right now. And it has nothing to do with the fan. It has everything to do with where I purpose myself to be. Now, you want to take this a step further. In Psalm chapter 1, it says that 
The man who delights himself in the Lord is like the tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in and out of season. The wicked are not so, but blow away like chaff. My fan is not invincible. This is where illustrations fall apart. However, it's still running. God will never let you down. Now, I was going to use actual straw, but I figured we would all be sneezing. So, in the scope of this, in the midst, I may turn this down a little. In the midst of harvest in biblical times, the way that chaff was sorted from the grain, two different ways. One was there would be a pitchfork that they would throw the grain up in the air and let the wind carry the chaff off and the grain would fall back to the earth. They would gather it up. The other way was to put it on a hill where the breeze could settle it and they'd stir it up and the chaff would blow away. Okay? Here's, here's the truth of this. When we root ourselves and delight ourselves in the things of the world, I am planting myself into the chaff of the world. Okay? Now, as I get closer in proximity to God, here's what happens. The chaff starts to be sorted out. And over time, if I remain in proximity to Him, I end up gradually losing all of this stuff that I thought was valuable and important, but in the grand scheme of things, before the judgment of God, this is what I'm left with. I am left before God... I'm left before God with the exact same thing that I brought when I came to Him in the first place. I can bring nothing to the Lord to earn what He has done for me in Christ. But when I find my identity in all of this, and I end up, my, my, my world is scattered, and I'm down here trying to pick up all the pieces of my world... In the end, family, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Contentment, blessing, joy, satisfaction is found in the Lord. Blessed is the man who delights in the instruction of the Lord. And then in the midst of this, the last two verses of Psalm chapter 1. Share with us what the end result of this really is. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, if we understand the definition of wicked there as what we talked about earlier, this is a problem. If the Lord knows the way of the righteous, I cannot hide who I really am from the Lord. Now, to close this time, the reality of this is, we hear a message like this, and oftentimes the first thing we think is, okay, how do I then 
delight in the Lord. What do I do? And many times we hear people say, you just need to try harder. You need to pray, pray more. You need to read your Bible more. You need to just do more. Try harder. There's something that's more important than that. And we see it in Romans 12. Where it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You are unable to live as a righteous person apart from being transformed by God himself. And so if you're in a place right now where you feel like you have you are you are on the ground trying to pick up all the fragmented pieces of your life. I want to tell you that the way to healing in the midst of a broken world is not through cleaning this mess up. There is one who's already cleaned it up on your behalf. And his name is Jesus. Who gave his life that you could have life. But you first have to allow the Lord to transform you. And you realize the only portion in this is presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. God, I'm yours. I have nothing to bring because all I have is chaff. And it's worthless. Have we been transformed, family? And more importantly, do we live as people untethered from the world and transformed for his sake? Do we live that way? Have we found our delight in the instructions of the Lord where we see the very hope and joy that he's given us in Jesus? Or have we delighted ourselves in things of this world that when we get down to it, it doesn't matter? That's a question between you and the Lord, but it's also a question between us as the church and the Lord. May who we are and what we strive for and what we pursue be motivated, not by our own yearnings, but by the spirit of God saying, run towards him at any cost. For his glory and his glory alone. Amen. Now, in light of this, we're going to take communion together. I'm going to ask those serving communion to come forward. And. I actually love the visual of this mess up here while we're taking communion. Because it's it should be the picture we see. That when we come to the Lord's table, we, we shouldn't be doing this in order that we just check a box. But rather, as we look at what and remember what God in Christ has done for us, we also see in the rearview mirror, Lord willing, but maybe in the present day, the fragments of our life and we go apart from Jesus there is no hope for me apart from Jesus there is no hope for the church in fact apart from Jesus there is no church and when we take this together we do so to testify to one another that I believe and that's why we say communion this is this is a a time to be shared amongst people who say I trust I trust the Lord 
Because that's what we're saying as we take it. The thing that unifies us most is the only one who can allow us to be in proximity to the Father. We can't do it ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. So let's pray, and then we're going to take communion as we reflect on these truths. Father, our hope is in Christ. Father, the greatest needs of our hearts is found in Jesus. And Lord, we confess that we're a people who so often are prone to step into this in our own way, doing this our, with our own focus in mind. Lord, we confess that we're a people who so often become distracted by the gifts that you give instead of you as the giver of those gifts. So, Lord, may we root into what is true. And may we reflect on the price that has been paid. And turn in response and say, Father, I want to trust you. I want to trust you with all of this. May we delight ourselves in you alone, in Jesus' name.